0: Thanks, Tom. Um, so we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56, and that's on 1026, page 1026 in the Church Bibles, and this is God's Word speaking to us this morning. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Then we go into Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We thank God for his word.
1: Well, do you have that passage open or open on your phone app? Um, Just adjust this a bit. Well, I'm sure some of us are feeling a bit tired uh, this morning. Um, uh, So it's great, isn't it, that we can be confident that God the Holy Spirit will speak as the word that he has inspired is looked at and proclaimed. So let's just come to God now, shall we, for the strength that we need, that I need to speak, that we all need uh, to listen, that he would, by his Holy Spirit, overcome our weakness and sin and encourage our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you reign in heavenly glory now, that you are exalted to the highest place because you came into this world as a baby and died on a cross. Thank you that because of your great humility and self-giving love, your Father has exalted you to the highest place and given you the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So Lord, we bow before you this morning, we thank you, and we pray, Lord, that as you speak to us from heaven, your Holy Spirit would strengthen me, would work in all our hearts, that we might see you afresh and have joy in you. For your glory's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, as Tom's been referring to, there's always a danger at Christmas time, isn't there, that we kind of feel that it's a bit of a slog. (laughs) There's so much to do, so many pressures, so many difficulties in life. And often Christmas is the time that those difficulties in life are particularly exposed, aren't they, sadly? Family tensions, relationship strain. Grief, those seats at the table which are now empty. Christmas can throw up all kinds of deep emotions, and, and maybe uh, because of all those things, we think, "Well, I just need to get through. I, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really wanting to enjoy this. I just need to get through Christmas, uh, and and hopefully things will get back to some semblance of normality in the new year." So it's good to remind ourselves that. That first Christmas, it wasn't in this sort of sentimental world in which Mary and Joseph sort of glided uh, a few feet ac- across the difficulties in their lives that just sort of sailed with serene Christmas joy. No, it was a time of great pressure for them, wasn't it? As we, in a sense, were thinking about yesterday evening. Uh, Mary was no stranger to pressure. That first Christmas, she was misunderstood by those closest to her, even her husband or betrothed. She was pregnant, after all, and not by Joseph, and he was planning to divorce her quietly until the angel intervened. I think that would have been stressful. (laughs) She, She was most likely feeling terribly alone and so traveled from Nazareth in the north to the hill country of Judah in the south to visit Elizabeth, some 80 to 100 miles on foot. I mean, perhaps she was seeking someone who understood the trials of pregnancy. That was supernatural. Elizabeth was in herself away. So odd for such an, an old woman to be pregnant. Then, of course, she would have had to have done the journey with Joseph a few months later because of the census. Yet, in this situation, facing family misunderstanding, arduous journeys, let alone childbirth in the first century, which probably was a little bit more stressful and challenging than today, she had deep joy, deep joy in the Holy Spirit. And so did Elizabeth, despite what they were facing. And both Elizabeth and Mary foreshadow the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, where he fills men and women so that men and women prophesy the gospel. So I thought we'd do something slightly different this morning, where uh, there's two points. And given that Christmas is so busy and we're often so stressed, I thought we could just have a moment of quiet after each point where we reflect and and think on the joy of Mary and Elizabeth. And ask the Holy Spirit to refresh in us that joy. It's, It's great as Christians, isn't it? Because we trust in Jesus... The Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. We have a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have one who inside us cries out, Abba, Father, and one who can change the attitudes of our hearts because God has promised that he will under the terms of the new covenant. So there'll just be a moment of quiet after each point for us to think, and not just think, but ask the Holy Spirit to refresh our joy. First point is this, rejoice. By the Holy Spirit, in Mary being the Mother of God, or the Mother of the Lord. Rejoice by the Holy Spirit, in Mary being the Mother of the Lord. Look at me, uh, look with me. So there's going to be a few glitches this morning in how I speak. Verse 42. Sorry, verse 41. No. I've got completely the wrong verse. I'll just start at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea from Nazareth, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, by the power of the Holy Spirit and and his power in Elizabeth's life, she understand that Mary is the mother of her Lord. This is a remarkable thing to say. She can only be referring to the Lord whom she worshiped, the Lord Yahweh, the I am that I am, the creator and covenant Lord. And Elizabeth speaks by the Holy Spirit, beyond her understanding maybe, and prophesies that Mary is the mother of my Lord. I mean, How does Elizabeth know this? Only by the revelation to her of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being at work in her mind And in the baby in her womb, which, as we'll see, is significant. That's what she explains in verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. See, Mary knows that Mary is carrying a child in her womb that is God, the Creator, the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Holy Spirit brings joy to her in the reality of the incarnate Son of God in in Mary's womb. So let's rely on the Holy Spirit to bring us the joy as he did to Elizabeth and to Mary, as we'll see, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He, the Holy Spirit, can bring joy to us and to our families, as well as an understanding, a fresh understanding maybe, of the incarnation, that God became human in the person of his son Jesus forever, going forwards. I don't know if you um, have misunderstood somebody and therefore not related to them rightly. I don't know if that's happened to you. Um, I was going to think of a much better illustration than this, but this is the only one I could think of in the time available. I remember as a young man, we were on a Christian camp, and, uh, you know, as young men do, you sort of... You, you try and sort of see how good you are in, in various areas. And this, this area was a sort of sporting area. And I thought, you know, I was reasonably, it was before I couldn't, you know, run, etc. I thought I was a fairly good runner and a fairly good swimmer and a fairly good cyclist. But got chatting to a, a friend on a camp, and you know, how the conversation goes. and You're sort of just sort of uh, measuring up each other. I mean, this is still as Christians. I mean, it's horrific, isn't it, that we still do this. But this, this is often the case with young men, I think. And um, you know, so we, we could sort of compare our cycling prowess and our swimming prowess and our running prowess. And then there's just a little, you know, so, so what kind of level do you do all these things? And he said, oh, well, uh, I'm a national triathlete. <laughs> I'm just, just, you know, wanting to go for Olympic trials soon. And at that point, you know, I sort of shrivel and shrink. But I was relating to him completely wrongly, because I misunderstood who I was dealing with. And it's possible for us, even as Christians, to misunderstand who we're dealing with when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not that we need deep theology, but we do need some theology to relate to Jesus rightly. To find that joy in him. See, the early church wrestled long and hard about who Jesus really was and is. How how can he be fully God and fully man in one person without confusing those two natures of 100% deity and 100% Humanity, and, and why is that important for how we relate to Jesus, how we feel about him, how the Holy Spirit brings joy to our hearts? Because if Jesus is not fully God, he's only a superhuman, like Superman, and what's to say that he might not fail us? You know, he might come across some sort of spiritual Kryptonite, and just all power is lost from him. If he's not a hundred percent. God, he cannot save us securely from sin and death and judgment and hell and everything that happens in our lives. And so we might come across something in our lives and we think, well, I haven't got the power for this, so has Jesus? But no, Jesus, as we've been seeing, is fully God. He is the I am that I am, the Lord. We might think, oh, well, he was a fetus. In Mary's womb. So, how can he possibly at the same time be upholding the universe with the word of his power, speaking to keep the whole universe in existence at the same time as he is a fetus? But if he's fully God, he was and is fully God throughout all time, even when he was a conception of one cell. And if Jesus is not fully human, he doesn't really understand what we go through, does he? If he's not fully human, he can't help us when we are tempted because God is not tempted by evil. And Jesus can't understand, unless he was fully human, what it's like to be exhausted and full of sorrow. And overwhelmed with grief, so he just can't stop crying. But if Jesus is fully human, 100% human, then of course he understands temptation. He understands grief and weakness. Being overwhelmed with exhaustion, he knows what it's like. Of course, if Jesus was 100% human, he could die on the cross. And he could take the punishment for the sins of human beings like you and me. But without being fully human, he couldn't do any of that. He couldn't bleed and suffer and die and descend into hell. So it really matters that we understand who Jesus is as fully human and fully God, and that in his one person, neither is, even by an infinitely small amount, reduced by the other. He's not 99999999 percent human because he's God. No, he's 100% human. And he's not just slightly less than God by being human. And this is what this language, that the early church really grappled with, It means that Jesus, as God, is immutable. He never changes. He has no needs outside himself. He has the character of aseity. It means that he doesn't need anything outside himself. He's fully self-sufficient. But in being a human, he has to eat and sleep. He feels grief. He dies. He bleeds. And the language that I'm going to read in a minute from one of the creeds is important, because it says these two natures are not confused with each other. It's not like the humanity stops Jesus being fully God, or the the deity stops Jesus being fully. They are unchanged, unconfused undivided. They're united in one person. Jesus is not sort of got a compartment to his personality that is God and another compartment to his personality that is human. They are together in one person. And do you know what the phrase that the church fathers, the early church, used to put these two things together? One of the phrases was that the Virgin Mary was the mother of God. He had a true human nature, descended from David, that came to him through Mary. Let me just read this. For some of us, we think, OK, this is you know, highbrow theological language. But the early church suffered and died for these truths over the first four centuries of the church. They thought it was sufficiently important, pastorally, to keep Christians going through suffering to express things in this way so that they could understand Jesus clearly and enjoy Him, enjoy who He is. I'll just read it. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, uh, this is the Chalcedonian Creed of 451 AD, teach men to confess one and the same, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same, perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God, truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father, in other words, having the same substance, the same nature as God the Father, and consubstantial with us, according to the manhood, fully man, in all things like unto us, in every way like you and me, without sin begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparately, the distinction of the natures by being no means taken away by the union, in other words, fully God, fully man, united, and not changed in any way. But rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons. Jesus has not got a split personality because he's both God and man, but one and the same son. And only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the Creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. You think, why go to all that effort of clarifying who Jesus is and what He's like? Well, because it helps our relationship with Him. See, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's easy to slip into one side or the other of the knife edge, the mystery of his person. See, if we relate to him more according to his divine nature, he's worthy of our worship, he dwells in heaven, he fills the whole universe, he is outside time, he's pure and holy and good, he's almighty and all-knowing, but he might feel distant to us it might feel to us like he doesn't really understand what we're going through. He doesn't get how we feel. Well, that's a denial of his humanity. No. In our mind's eye, we are to think of Jesus as understanding more deeply than we do our sorrows, griefs, loves, relationships, families, pressures. And we may fall off the knife edge the other way, and think, well, he's fully human. He he got tired. He's exhausted. He's overwhelmed with emotion. He wept to death. He was frustrated with his disciples, as we saw last week. He was tested, tempted, yes, without sin. So he knows the things that we're going through from the inside. He's not distant. He's a friend walking with us through the trials of life. But we may doubt whether he can really help us. He's so like us. He understands us so deeply. He's a mate. But we don't pray as if he can change all those things as Almighty God. We we forget that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, who determines the day of our birth and the day of our death and every day in between. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, keeping these truths together in our understanding is something that is impossible for us without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so as we come to a a time of reflection, let's just rest in the Holy Spirit as he takes the truths that we know and helps us to rejoice in them, in that holy mystery that is the incarnation of Jesus. it Just before we do, I want to bring out a couple more applications. You see, it's rather ironic, isn't it, in all the Gospels most influenced by the Apostle Paul, that the Gospel is most radical about God's redemption of women. Here, Mary is the mother of the Lord. The Holy Spirit enables Elizabeth to prophesy. The baby in Mary's womb leaps for joy by the Holy Spirit The baby recognizes who is conceived in Mary's womb. And for centuries, women had been excluded from the temple. And yet now, God dwells in a woman's womb. They're not places of shame and uncleanness. This is the place where God Almighty dwells and works and begins his mission of salvation. It's wonderful, isn't it? So just as we close, rejoice, uh, the first point, uh, rejoice by the Holy Spirit in Mary being the mother of the Lord. Let's just spend two or three minutes in quiet, reflecting on the truth, anything that struck us Uh, asking the Holy Spirit to refresh our joy in Jesus. there's a couple of minutes silence you might be thinking what oh, what's this silence for 2 minutes it's good isn't it to spend some time in quiet thinking and meditating on what we celebrate at christmas maybe that's something we can do at other times but my second point and more briefly is rejoice by the holy spirit like mary in the mercy of god rejoice by the holy spirit like Mary, in the mercy of God. Mary, I think, similarly filled with the Holy Spirit, sings and rejoices in what the Lord has done for her, as we were thinking about yesterday evening. But then she rejoices in what this means, not just for her, but for the the whole of God's people. We pick it up at verse 50. His mercy is for those, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. See, mercy we know, don't we, is not being treated as we deserve. We realize that if we're dealing with God, who is full of glory and immovable weight, that we fear him. And that's not something different to trusting in his love and his Mercy, in fact, the two go together. Two things to hold together, which we tend to fall off on one side or the other again. Psalm 130 verse 4 says this. With you, there is forgiveness, speaking of the Lord. Therefore, you are feared. Or Psalm 33 verse 18. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those who hope in his unfailing love. They're two sides of the same coin. I'm sure we know that in in the Psalms there's parallelism. So the the first sentence is explained by the second sentence. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. What does it mean, mean to fear the Lord? Well, on those who hope in his unfailing love. See. The love of God is not something that removes the fear of God. The the mercy of God towards us is not something that stops our holy reverence of him, rather than something that amplifies it. His love is so valuable to us. His forgiveness is so valuable and amazing to us, like Mary celebrates here. It goes hand in hand with fearing who he is. And this whole section is really about mercy, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our answer. Those who receive mercy are those who are humble, whom he lifts up, verse 52. They're not proud, whom the Lord scatters, according to Mary's joy. are receiving humbly of God's mercy and love is something we do in fear and trembling, because we recognize what God is like. We recognize who we're dealing with. There's this uh, illustration. Again, I I didn't have time really to sort of get a clear illustration, but I love this story, and it's a bit of an urban legend. Um, I'm sure you've heard it before. Uh, Sorry for the Americans amongst us. Um, You don't come out too well. So the Americans say this, uh, they're, they're on a big warship. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no. I say again, you divert your course, Americans. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse, your call. In other words, we've got to recognize who we're dealing with when we're dealing with God, almighty God. He is an immovable object, the unmoved mover. We cannot abandon fear of him. Even when we receive his mercy and forgiveness and love, in fact, especially as we receive those things, they go together. And so Mary says he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and yet exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mercy, God's unfaithful love, by definition, is received by the humble. Those who fear the Lord. So let's fear him this Christmas. We sing a wonderful song, don't we, in which the words go like this. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. It's a wonderful thing to sing. But it's not a reason to be presumptuous on his mercy, to, to treat his grace as something cheap. No. We keep coming back to him, saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me afresh. Please fill me with joy because I know that your way is best. And how much I need to fear you more and understand your love more so that I might not sin against you. So rejoice by the Holy Spirit, like uh, like Mary, in the mercy of the Lord. Rejoice by the Holy Spirit, like Mary, in the mercy of the Lord. So uh, a time of quiet, and let's call on the Spirit to renew our fear of the Lord and our deep, humble reception of his mercy towards us in Jesus. Well, let's just pray as we close, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that he is the one who changes our hearts and gives us joy in our hearts. Lord, please send him afresh to us at this Christmas time. Help us to rejoice like Elizabeth did in your incarnation. Help us to rejoice like Mary did in your mercy and please help these things to be alive and real in our hearts whatever we are facing whatever pressures or griefs or anxieties or sadnesses or sins we are struggling with lord please by your holy spirit help us to take joy in jesus this christmas